It's episode 19, and I am Sean Grigsby. Welcome, welcome. We have a very lengthy interview, but that's a good thing. And today we are talking to David Doglish about his new book. You'll hear more about that later. First, let's talk about me. <laughs> uh, what a terrible first day. Um, so, I have two books out currently, Smoke Eaters and Daughters of Forgotten Light. Both of those are published by Angry Robot Books. They're available everywhere. That means in the Barnes & Noble store, in Powell's, in the Pacific Northwest. By the way, Powell's just named Smoke Eaters one of the best science fiction and or fantasy novels of 2018. Uh, also, if you like short stories, I have one coming out in the new Amazing Stories magazine. And it features the robot detective EZ42 from uh, the book I just finished writing. It's unsold currently, but uh, the book's called Robots Don't Cry. But the story is called A Swift Drop Two Bits. And I won't spoil anything for you, but if you like robots and Sweeney Todd, you'll freaking love this one. Anyway, let's kick off our interview with David Dalglish. Sorry. Are you going to do like an official intro of like, this is well, when the recording will start? Or you just want to keep all this in? Let's just keep it all in. I'll, I'll edit. I say I like that. Hello, and, listener. Yeah, there's a podcast I listen to called Last Podcast on the Left. And when, mm-hmm. when they do their little musical intro, uh, the, the, and then they kind of fade in, they're already having a conversation. And I kind of like that. I don't know why. Okay. Well, then, listener, so you know, I didn't have Skype installed. I didn't have a, my microphone hooked up. I'm leaving the house. I get a message going, hey, you want to do <laughs> this day an hour all right perfect this is, so, is true gorilla podcasting right here that's right right into it uh I've, I've known about you david for a while uh before i even had my first uh book published or, or even before i had an agent i believe um i, I remember reading uh your first seraphim novel uh mm-hmm. ba- at the firehouse one day they had it at the uh, the local library and I picked mm-hmm. that up. Uh, so you you've had a very long career so far, and you're only a, a year older than me. So <laughs> that's pretty amazing. It's, I mean, it's I guess it's yeah. I guess we're publishing. It might be a long. I've been doing this eight years now. Yeah, that's a long time. Something like that. Yeah, it's like the presidency. I'm surprised you don't have gray <laughs> hair. That's uh, I, I basically wrecked my back and neck, but right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Which, is everything going uh, well with oh, that? Oh, yeah. Though? It is finally, like, everything is normal and fine and, like, even made some pretty good progress just this last week. So, in terms of, like, affecting my writing, it's it's been months now before anything has affected that. So. Oh, that's good. Now, you've been with Orbit the entire time? Is that uh, right? No, no, no. Um, let's, let me think of the timetable. See, I started out self-publishing... Like I said, about eight. I think it was. Uh, I think it was 2011. So maybe not quite eight years. 2010, 2011, and I had self-published four novels before Orbit ever contacted me. Oh wow! And now at the time, actually, I think it was like four or five. I had written the first four half-orc novels, and I had just published Dance of Cloaks. And Dance of Cloaks was by far and away like the biggest like lightning in a bottle for me right um because i was doing like okay like i was i was doing more okay i was ecstatic with what i was doing i was working at like pizza hut making minimum you know barely above minimum wage right when suddenly i was able to make a living writing 
you know, my silly little self-published fantasy novels. Uh, but Dance of Cloaks, like, caught onto this wave of, like, Brenton Weeks was being really big. And, like, yeah. the Assassin's Creed games were, like, really hitting their stride. I think, like, Black Flag had just come out. Yeah. Um, so, like, there's this huge surge of, like, fantasy novels. And Dance of Cloaks, like, latched onto Brent Weeks' leg. Right. <laughs> and... Like, it was just like, you know, everyone that bought Way of Shadows was like, hey, we think you might also like A Dance of Cloaks. And I was, yeah, that was great. So Orbit, seeing me hanging on like a little barnacle to one of their own authors, uh, <laughs> they actually contacted me wanting, uh, giving me a three book offer. Wow. That I was not able to say yes to. <laughs> oh. Because, and this is a really long story that I think I've told elsewhere on David Coran's uh, website i basically signed on to a horrendous agency located in spain oh wow yeah it was they offered they contacted me because of dancer cloaks doing so well offering to do like a spanish translation i was like oh my gosh this is crazy uh and i actually tried to find an agent at that point like hey i've got an offer you know from you know i've got these are my indie sales and i've got an author or an offer for you know publishing in spain and just would you be interested in looking at me and even then, I was not able to get an agent at the time. And I was like, well, that sucks. Okay, fine. Forget it. I'll, sure. I'll, you know, whatever the agreement is, I'll sign it. Um, but they also then asked me, hey, do you, wanna, do you want us to actually represent you? Which should have been a giant red flag warning. What the heck? You do not have the people that are publishing your book also represent you. Right. Uh, but I was younger wasn't exactly young but it was like it was like 25 26 um and stupid and i said yes mm. and didn't even blink when the uh the split i was way above industry standard it was at 50 percent oh my goodness which is, yeah which is, which is absurd now i justify this to myself because i just i basically wanted this feeling of all you know whatever i'm not actually going to get anything uh done with i i was like 50 percent of something is better than 100 percent of nothing is how i justified it because i was because they were basically saying hey we might try for other language additions as well right and i was like this don't no i could do that and i made it clear when we were doing this the one smart thing i did it was that i maintained the ability to keep self-publishing my stuff and i and the english rights to dance of cloaks and all that was still mine right so when Orbit comes along with this amazing offer that I did not know that they were even trying for, <laughs> I literally like <laughs> I got a message from uh, this agency. By the way, is now uh, defunct, which gives me all sorts of joy. I have outlasted them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they like, hey, you know, we we have an offer coming in, in a day or so, and I was like, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, for uh, English translation, you know, for English deal in US, publishing in US and UK. I was like, I. I didn't know you were trying for that. <laughs> and then they come with this deal from Orbit, which was at the time, like, uh, I mean, was a six figure author from Orbit at a time when I was make, living on like 12,000 a year. So, I mean, it was just like mind blown, holy crap, life changing amounts of money. And I was like, I, I can't sign this. It's, I, it's, I'm at 50%. This right. was so stupid to me. But I was like, okay, this is a lot of money on the table. It's clearly above industry standard. So I was like, hey, guys, would you like to renegotiate our contract to the proper sane amount? 
and then I can sign this deal. And they said, yes, sort of. And then they were <laughs> insanely unprofessional. Like, I apparently made one of the people I was in contact with cry, according to their management that later contacted me. You made them um, cry? I made them cry. Cause I, <laughs> but, like, they were asking me to translate things for them in the... Uh, like Orbit sent them like the a, a, the contract offer, and they were asking me to translate certain things for them. Uh, like, hey, does this does English in this look okay? I'm like, you're technically supposed to be my agent. Why am I doing this? Um, and like, I tried. To, I said I countered off it like, hey, I, I, you know, what what would you like? And I was like, fifteen percent, which is technically also like I think a little bit below, like you know, fifteen or twenty, whatever. I was just hoping they counter offer with twenty percent. I'd say yes, done. Take the deal with Orbit. Holy crap! Right. Um, they ref- when I offered fifteen percent, they just said flat out no. That is unacceptable. Fifty percent is what you agreed to. We're done negotiating. Will you take the deal? Orbit's getting impatient. So I'm pretty sure I blew their minds because like, okay, then no, I'm turning it down. Right. Well, that's very smart of you. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, it hurt. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it, it hurt. Was like uh, even half, you know, even at fifty percent, that was so much money. And uh, so I turned it down and just kind of shocked them. And I then tried to see if I could get out of that contract because the percentage was so high. Uh, I like I contacted a lawyer in New York to look it over. And he said, look, there's a decent shot. You could say this is unenforceable because the terms are so egregious. Because there was one other thing I signed that every warning flag says, what in the world are you doing? Mm. Um, I had a five-year clause on it with no out contract, no, no out clause. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so now, Epic Mundos, as they were known, hated my guts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had made them cry, and they were absolutely determined to hold on to me for the remainder of that five years. And he was like, "Look, I, I, the lawyer in New York was like, in the not really that nicest terms." told me what in the world were you thinking signing this right you were an idiot but also even if it is maybe unenforceable you're talking about a company that is in spain you're in the u.s almost no publisher is going to risk this right you know because you know, they sign you they pub, you know you they sign with you they bypass the agency you get you know you know say dancer cloaks blows up and suddenly they're eyeing like dollar signs in a lawsuit stuff like that so no, I didn't. I then went back to self-publishing because they couldn't, like, have anything to do with that. And I, I waited. I basically was like, I'll just wait it out, I guess. Right. And at the time, like, I, I, I would get an occasional like email, like, Hey, uh, you know, we're from Italy. You, you could you sell your? Uh, are you interested in selling the rights to Dance of Cloaks? I'd be like, Yes, I'm interested. <laughs> no, I can't put that email into a little folder mm. and then amazon had it has their publishing imprints they started launching and they contacted me like hey do you want to you know sign a book deal with us and i was like i would love to can't, can't. still got three years left <laughs> that was 47 um, north i'm guessing yes that was 47 north so it was with about two years left on that uh i was talking to the person who would actually end up being my agent and like he's in a little uh i was in a group with him and i didn't even know he was an agent so we i'd actually befriended him and he was like an agent in disguise undercover oh yeah yeah those are the best <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Lasaz actually asking him for advice and stuff, and he actually proposed something like, "Have you thought about seeing if you could just buy out your contract?" I was like, "No, the thought had never once occurred to me to do that." Right. He was like, "Well, see if you can just throw money at them." And uh, so I contacted them, and by the looks of it, they were like preparing to do their bankruptcy proceedings. <laughs> so they wow. were more than happy to get some money out of me because it's not like they were getting anything. Because like. Uh, I didn't even help them. Like they, they actually published. You can still find it. The Spanish version of Dance of Cloaks was published, but they couldn't even get book two out because I refused to send it to them. Wow. <laughs> um. So I offered them like a super low amount, and they countered with a number that was like still close to the ballpark I would be willing to pay. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I like counted again, and then they counted back, and then I ended up paying them. I think. Four thousand dollars to break the contract, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. And uh, once it was signed and done, and I was released from my contract, uh, two days later, I signed with my buddy now agent. After he did a quick reading of cloaks and was like, "Okay, yeah, you do seem like you know what you're doing." Um, and then within two weeks of signing with him, I had deals with Forty Seven North and orbit wow yeah uh a six book deal with orbit and a three book deal with 47 north and my agent michael was amazing because he managed to get these two companies that do not like each other in the slightest to agree to like keep the books published at like respective amounts from the other yeah because <laughs> so uh, overlap hachette and amazon there for a while and I, I i forget if this was during that time but yeah uh, this was like two months be- it was like three months before that broke out <laughs> oh well that's fortunate Where, yeah i uh, that was going on i was like i feel like i have like divorced parents fighting <laughs> <laughs> like I, I didn't feel like i could say anything on what was going on right because for fear of like pissing one of the other off yeah uh I've now swung fully to like Hachette's camp and I haven't had anything published by 47 North anymore. So now I would probably have been more vocal. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, but by the, by that point, I think I had gotten up to, uh, I think I'd published all four Paladin's books and I think I'd gotten up to five or six half work books. And I had written, I had written the remaining two books that I was going to write with orbit of the shout series. And it started, excuse me, uh, a fourth shadow dance book that was like shadow dance in all but name right because i was like i was looking at like you know the shadow shadow dance books were really popular and people keep asking for more but i said it was a trilogy pretty clearly so i was like well we'll just i call it like the watcher's blade or something i was like i'll just make a little sequel series so orbit was like so you got these three shadow dance book and what's that one there oh that's like a sequel series that takes place like a year later yeah we want that one too (laughs) (laughs) i so Why I, not? I, uh, there's all kinds and, of loopholes yeah. around that stuff yeah you so know. and then pretty much since my goal was to have like a traditionally published book and a self-published book a year like two books a year that was my goal i failed that goal horribly because of like the health stuff i went through uh but i'm hoping to finally get started on that again for the poor people that have been emailing me asking when half works book eight is which has now been three years since i last released <laughs> oh wow so your yeah. half work series that's that's self-published that's that that's is a self-published one it will most likely always stay self-published and it's like 
seven books in. Uh, I left him on a cliffhanger. Took me like two years between writing books six and seven. And then, like, it's now been three years since seven. So these poor fans of like one book in five years, which if I was like, <laughs> you know, George R. R. Martin caliber, maybe they would be willing to deal with it. But like at this point, it's like they're like, hey, are you ever, you ever gonna write that book? You you, you kind of ended on a cliffhanger, and <laughs> I, I do want to get to it. But you know, I'm excited about you know, I was excited about Seraphim. I'm excited about this new Soulkeeper series. You know, it's a lot easier to be excited about a brand new world than one that you've written. 20 books i believe set in that same world right i wondered like do you did you at some point did you go okay i'm kind of done with this world i, I want to tell another story i'm, I'm kind of i'm basically i you know the half works people will hate me for this but i'm already at that point <laughs> uh, like people ask me hey are you gonna do you know a prequel to this or a prequel to that or tell like off stories of this character that core and characters like no, I'm like the Half Work series is like every other one of these little series has kind of just converged into the Half Works, and I'm just going to continue all those storylines with just the Half Works. And I, my hope is to get back into the flow of things. I still love all the characters, right? Uh, but you know, I've, I, I, you haven't read the Half Works, but I basically blow up the entire world uh, quite literally. <laughs> uh, I've like. With the 47 North books, I, I detailed the actual creation of the world, like when these two brother gods arrive on the world and create humanity, the books take place like 60 years after that. So I have detailed the very beginnings of this world. I've detailed this God's War that wiped out like two thirds of humanity. I've had like angels and demons invade the place. Uh, and it's just this wreckage of a world that's left. And the main thing is I feel like, you know, I can't really introduce new monsters, new creatures, new races, things like that. Cause I, I've, I've so thoroughly detailed everything about this world. So, right. uh, it's, it's just, it's limiting in that way. So, you know, and it, it's also hard trying to deal with scope, you know, and scale. I mean, at the end of book five, the main character, Herrick sword fought, a literal deity <laughs> right so you know it, it makes it a little harder to you know like well how do you top that <laughs> and then <laughs> you know like you know in book books one and two i could have like you know these half-word brothers like you know come crashing into a village with some bandits and you can't exactly do that in book nine when they've sword fought gods <laughs> right it kind of <laughs> seems a bit yeah. I don't want to say boring, but, you know, like yeah. way, way down on the level. Yeah, here's the level 99 half-orc barbarian, you know. He's not going to be fighting bandits. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you kind of, I mean, well, like, I think everything runs its course. Um, and I, I'm kind of having the same, uh, not issue, but uh, with, with, with the Smoke Eaters series, um, there's only so much you can do with dragons and fighting the dragons um <laughs> i mean i've got three books that i've uh, I, I just turned in the uh, edits which were accepted um for the hey, sequel guys. yeah it, it was accepted in a day i'm like what okay cool well no pressure <laughs> i wish it was soul keepers edits were accepted in a day <laughs> <laughs> i finished i got i got the edit notes on november 15th i turned them in on december 3rd and late, so in the UK, they, mm -hmm. they were asleep. So let's say the 4th, and uh, mm -hmm. yesterday they sent me an email saying, okay, we're good. <laughs> well, uh, all righty then. 
I'll let you finish your story and then let me tell you how mine went. <laughs> oh, well, I'm done. What, tell me about your story. Oh, oh, so uh, Soul Keeper, it's coming out in March, and I am beyond excited for this one. Because, uh, like, after I like, I had a lot of fun with the Seraphim series, but I learned like a lot about what I do and don't like. Because that was the first you know, after twenty some books, it was the first non half orcs world, right? And I realized how much of a crutch that had become relying on this world I had written so many books in that was pretty prototypical fantasy D and D, right? So, like, I could just, you know, rely on readers' kind of assumptions of what is and what isn't, you know. And, you know, an elf and an orc show up, people kind of have an idea of what's going on. Right. Um, so, with Seraphim, like, I tried to do, like, less magic and more, like, structured magic. Yeah, it's and, almost steampunk in, in, in a way. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely part of it. Uh, I also had a, a limited point of view. Like, it was, for the first book in particular, it was like there was two main characters and you were only those two point of views. And... By the end of that series, I had really several things. One, I can't stand having that limited amount of point of views. And even in Seraphim, by book three, I was using about four or five point of views. Oh, uh, okay. Because one of my favorite things to do is have a point of view from a villain character, which eventually I was just like, screw it, I'm doing that anyway. Right. In, in Shadowborn. And that was so much fun to write. <laughs> um, and the limited magic, nah. That's right. not my thing. Uh, <laughs> go big or go so, home. So with Soul Keeper, I was like, all right, I want to have, I want to have the ability to do something sort of traditional D and D, but not elves, orcs, dwarves, etc. But I wanted a world that I could do basically whatever the heck I felt like was what I wanted, and could have magic in it, however the heck I wanted. And that's basically what Soul Keeper is. Okay. The premise of it is. Uh, there was like a world where like it was humans and all these magical creatures. I don't want to give too much away, obviously. Right. But at some point, all of the magical creatures were basically banished, put to sleep, hidden, etc. Like you just you're gone now. You're done for <laughs> reasons that I obviously will not get into. Right. Now is so, it good? And with the book taking place, I, there's a lot of novels out there. I, even Game of Thrones is like this, where you have a world and then like magic is like slowly returning. Right. Uh, like you know, Game of Thrones is a good example of like, oh my gosh, there's a dragon. You know, yeah. being, being born at the end of the first one, yeah. and then it starts get adding in undead. Then you start getting some little magical spells and all that type of stuff until like by season eight, you're watching like dragons flying through the air against hordes of undead. Right. Um, and it would just it might as well just be something out of World of Warcraft at that point. <laughs> um, with Soulkeeper, the return happens instantaneously. Oh, cool! Like there is like a sharp dividing moment where all of these things return from what the little prison banishment sleep that they'd been in, and it's just pure chaos. The titular uh, Soulkeeper is named Devin. Is it Eveson or Evison? Evison. Evison. Okay. And uh, I hope I'm not giving too much away, but uh, basically when these monsters return, uh, other Soul Keepers are being murdered. Yes. Uh, the, the idea of the Soul Keepers, they're like a traveling preacher. The, the one thing about this world is that 
the opening of the book. I'm not giving too much away with this, like because it's the, the opening chapter is Devon performing a reaping ritual, uh-huh. and basically at effectively midnight, uh, after a person's died, soul keepers perform a ritual. They like, build a pyre and they draw like the symbol of the church on in, on their foreheads in snow or dirt or wherever they are, and you actually see the soul rise from their forehead. Oh, cool. And it's like, you can see it hovering very Dark Souls style in the air, and then the Soul Keepers help basically fling it to the stars, where it goes to what they believe is like their form of heaven. Nice. So, hence, that's why they're a Soul Keeper. That that's They view themselves like, hey, you know, they perform the reaping rituals, but they also protect souls, you know, while they're alive. So, right. they're kind of like a traveling preacher. They're also, you know, they're like, they're the like prototypical wild west traveling preacher where they have like a bible in one hand and a shotgun in the other yeah the <laughs> so cool that's kind yeah the cool kinds so that's what they are like so a village has to actually petition the appearance of a soul keeper uh so like a town has to petition for the arrival of one they may need one to like you know protect them from bandits or whatever especially if they out in the middle of nowhere they also will like hey we're having a plague and then you know they They've got like their little herbs and stuff to try to heal people and help. So he's out in the middle of nowhere, way out in the West, up in like the equivalent of Denver. <laughs> right. Uh, actually, the town that takes place in is based on where my wife grew up called uh, Leadville, Colorado. Oh, cool. It's like the highest incorporated uh, town in the U.S. And okay. it's like, I, f- I got to visit there and I was like, oh, this place is amazing. I can't breathe. Right, the altitude <laughs> <it's> amazing. is intense. <laughs> I got asthma. And my, like the first day we were there, like you're supposed to like try, you know, stay like one day halfway to Leadville before oh. actually staying the night in Leadville. And we didn't. We just like took a plane from Missouri to Denver and then drove to Leadville and then stayed the night there. And like by the end of that day, I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never been in high altitude ever before. And I was just like, this is like, I can't catch my breath. What the heck is with this place? Wow. But you could literally just stand and spin 360 and there were just mountains every direction. It was amazing. Uh, so basically it takes place there when, and that's where he is when all of the magical creatures and races and stuff return. And it's just chaotic and like spell books like people have like these old spell books that are just considered nonsense or you know things you'd rip someone off with here look this spell will make your hair grow or whatever yes. well those things are actually working now oh wow so and then uh, the others branches of the church the mind keepers and the faith keepers they have their prayer book their prayer books and those prayers are suddenly actually healing flesh and protecting people so not all, like so when magic returns to this world it's instantaneous and suddenly you have random people with a book containing insane power wow. <laughs> and he, the healing church you know the keeping church is suddenly able to actually heal people and cast spells but like at the same time gargoyles are now coming to life and eating people and <laughs> animals are talking and like you know you know, lumber villages in the middle of nowhere have creatures in the forest that are hypnotizing them and eating them. I mean, it's just insane. That's that's cool. 
I like that because I, I, I like you mentioned. You know the slow progression of magic returning. I don't. I don't want that. That's that seems too uh, convenient. I guess. But once mm-hmm. it just kind of drops, like it does in, in Soul Keeper, uh, mm-hmm. that's where the conflict really gets crazy. Yeah, we have all this uh, crazy stuff going on. And the other thing, I, I like, I made a vow, and it was I'm not using any traditional fantasy creatures. Right. I've broken it a tiny bit. Like I said, I have gargoyles, for example, um, but how they work is not the same as you would expect. Okay. Uh, like they're not made of stone, for example. Even right. if they seem like they. Um, and I've got some of the minor things. I actually have like a tiny little winged fairy. But there's no elves, there's no orcs, there's no dwarves. You know, there's no traditional fantasy creatures that you would expect in like a D&D style like I relied on with the half-orcs. So that has really pushed me to, like, every time I want to invent or introduce uh, something new and magical, I'm constantly trying to just come up with the weirdest, strangest thing i can think of that still falls under some rules that i've set for how these creatures were created and why they were created so are are, are they mainly creatures you've concocted out of your own imagination or have you taken influences from different things um oh there's plenty of influences from everything i mean this is my in some respects this is my love letter to like dark souls and bloodborne oh cool that's the sense i was getting from it yeah there's absolutely the, the world is not near as like dark as Bloodborne, right? Uh, and there's there's none of the Lovecraft influence that Bloodborne has. But <laughs> in terms of what Bloodborne is, in that it's like this big gothic city, and like you don't quite know what's going on, but you know there's like forces kind of throwing things into chaos it's that is what it focuses on in particular most of the book takes place in one specific city long time and it's about uh a lot of these magical races basically infiltrating the city uh for reasons that again you know obviously spoilers right you don't want to spoil it they have reasons to enter the city and uh the the biggest obvious proof that something is really jacked up going on is uh this is a very mild spoiler but a as like refugees from the west start like moving east toward long time uh because most of the really crazy occurrences appear to be happening in the far west uh basically devon arrives in long time where his sister is and chasing after him is a mountain <laughs> Oh! That basically, got up and started crawling. <laughs> An entire mountain. So, entire mountain <laughs> uh, has it's basically my version of a dragon. Oh, cool! <laughs> it's the size of a mountain and has this giant head. And uh, my editor liked joking and referring to it as a giant turtle, which offended me greatly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a mountain basically crawls to within like quarter mile of the city and just parks there <laughs> and stop and doesn't move and everyone inside the city is like just sitting there like you know wtf <laughs> what, what is going on why did this mountain crawl here and the mountain has been like just laying devastation its breath weapon is like this black water made of stars and galaxies that just like corrupts everything it touched and turns dead people to zombies and 
Oh, uh, that's awesome. You, you'd oh, like yeah. my Smoke Eaters books then. It's the same kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, now you mentioned your editor. Uh, who is it? Brit Vita. Yes. Okay. Cool. Who I, is awesome and wonderful and has bailed Soulkeeper out immensely. <laughs> awesome. Now, and I'm seeing. I'm looking on my phone right now, and okay. uh, Goodreads is. Uh, it's it's listing the genres, and I want to get your opinion on whether or not this is accurate, because okay. <laughs> um, they they well, I mean, mentioned my uh, daughter's a Forgotten Light book. They they listed it as space opera, and I'm like, they never leave the. They never go to another planet. Uh, anyway, so it's listed <laughs> as uh, fantasy fiction, high fantasy, and Arthurian romance. Arthurian romance. All right, hold on. Let me let me find Soulkeeper here. I got Goodreads in front of me. Hold on. Let me add Dalglish. Uh, well, it's actually on, under Google, uh, and then it, it Goodreads is one of the sites that it has a little. Ah, thing. okay. Yeah, uh, Arthurian romance. Um. No. <laughs> All right. I just wanted uh, to clear that up because it doesn't fantasy, sound. Yes. Yes. High fantasy. Yes. Uh, Epic fantasy. Is, maybe. Yeah. There is romance. I don't know if I would call it Arthurian. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know. I don't know where where like what algorithm de- decides oh, that. That's I, weird. I I, uh, I I think like Dance of Cloaks was listed under like men's adventure. <laughs> <laughs> at one point which is always one of those I don't, I don't even know exactly what that genre is supposed to be but yeah sure go Men, ahead men's adventure that it sounds like that though that old pulpy magazines where like the dudes are like fighting off crabs and bears and <laughs> that's what yeah. it sounds like to me uh well how do, how do you like working with orbit I, I i remember seeing a video of uh the art director for orbit doing the uh cover for you and they actually had an actual dude uh, I, I want to say it was uh, Dance of Cloaks. Yes, and was, he was. Yes, that was oh, fantastic. That, that was amazing. Oh, that was that was that was one of my like geeking out highlights of my entire life was watching a guy dress up as the main character hand from Dance of Cloaks and like whirling around and leaping off trampolines and they had a giant wind machine, uh, and they took they I believe they had him take a bunch of pictures for other book covers too, but it was specifically set up for mine they did six book covers out of this guy just jumping around and dancing and because he actually had uh the guy they picked had actual like ballet and dancing experience wow which fit what i wanted to do hair and just supposed to be very fluid in how he fights so he was you know he combined that with all the other stuff so uh yeah like they were i was actually getting emails from the art department of like how does it how do his cloaks work you know how does he do this little sh- cloak dance thing you describe and i couldn't do what i would normally tell people which was i don't know if it would actually work in real life but it sounds cool <laughs> <laughs> right so um do your best <laughs> right uh because the idea is he like he'll, he'll like spin in place and like use the cloaks, which he's got like separated into like three to like hide the movements of his hands and legs, and then like just leap out at you. And yeah, good luck doing that in real life. Um, <laughs> I mean, <clears> like, it is it's fantasy. Working anime. Yeah, it's working in anime, which is probably the right mindset to view most everything I write. Oh, nice. It's not a gritty you know lord of the rings or game of thrones adaptation but something more designed like an anime where everyone is running around with high emotions and people can leap 20 feet in the air (laughs) so that's cool though 
I like that kind of stuff. I wonder if Orbit still does the whole uh, taking photo. I think they did that for R.J. Barker's books where they, they uh, took photos. I, I'm trying to think. I think as a whole, they've started to shift from that because Orbit's going to try and follow whatever like the market trends are for book covers and what's selling. And right. um, I don't. I think things have gravitated more back towards like just actual illustrations art. and art. Yeah, because yeah, Soul like, Keeper is an illustrated cover. Soul Keeper is illustrated. I'm like, I'm thinking of particularly books, you know, in my sort of genre. Obviously, like I don't know what romance is doing or sci-fi. Right. Uh, but like in terms of fantasy, uh, I'm thinking of all the big fantasy stuff, and it, I think it's all very much. So the editing of Soul Keeper. Yes. <laughs> Since. Uh, come back to what i promised to come back to so uh most of my books are around 125 135,000 words okay soul keeper came in at like 185,000 much bigger than normally and that was with me cutting stuff out oh go wow <laughs> uh, like i i cut an entire subplot that made me sad and i just pushed it into book two because i could do that right uh, so I get, you know, I send it and I'm all like super nervous and, you know, gosh, you know, here's me pitching this brand new world and all these characters and monsters and whatnot. Oh, gosh, what are they going to think? So get it back and you're like, oh, I love it. It's great and exciting. Um, we just have some issues. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> um, okay. So she's like, well, um, we don't think the main character has any motivation. We can't stand this one character. Uh, the middle part feels like it's too long i'm not sure what's going on and it takes way too long for the villain to show up <laughs> yes okay it's <laughs> <was> like well <laughs> let me get to work <laughs> right um so it came in 185,000 words i chopped out of it almost gosh like 30 40,000 words Wow! So and then re and then re added another thirty thousand <laughs> <laughs> to give an idea of how much work I did. Uh, it we went through three different uh, story edits. Oh my and goodness! I was on the phone with Brit all the time, like struggling with you know what do we do with this character or that character, and there was like one constant sticking point that involved this little venture out of the city to this little lumber bit. And I kept tweaking it. And like after the story ends, Hey, this little side plot feels kind of separate and doesn't tie into anything. And so then I made some changes and story Edit two comes around. Oh, this is improved. This is improved. The, the, the side plot in that area doesn't seem to connect to anything. So then I made more changes and more changes. And she then had someone else read it. And I get their edits back, and they're like, oh, this is good, and this is great, and we love Devin's motivation now. That side plot in this one area doesn't seem to connect to anything. <laughs> oh, gosh. And the problem is I couldn't just delete that segment because by the third point, I was just like, I, just, I would just cut it completely. But that only introduces two of the main characters. <laughs> wow. So uh, it's not – it wasn't removable. Uh, so I ended up like – gutting it and rewriting it entirely it was like fifteen thousand words like like i just chopped it out because it was like six chapters like when i say like subplot it's like no it's like a six chapter diversion that i managed to cut down to six from eight and then end up rewriting like all of them and reorganizing things i ended up dropping a monster that i really liked and then rewriting it and 
Uh, oh my so goodness. I mean, it just uh, like just I added in so many chapters uh, to flesh out like motivations for characters, and then I mean it was lengthy. So like finally. Uh, it's now like I'm done and I've done all the miscellaneous edits and sent it in. So now uh, I'm writing Raven Collar, the second book. Okay. And like I've got it all plotted out chapter by chapter. And uh, I basically, like, about, when I was about halfway through, I just kind of stopped and looked at the outlines. I was like, okay, what would piss off Brit? <laughs> 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 and, and then started working. On, and then the other problem is I was looking at it and I, I have a pretty good like idea of like how long a book will be just based on like, Hey, if I've written 20 chapters and it's this many words long, you know, divide it and multiply it out. How long is the book going to be? And at that point it was coming in at like 210,000 words. I was like, <laughs> uh, that's too long. Wow. I need to cut this down. <laughs> I don't know how to cut this down. Well, okay. Like what would piss Brit off? And then like, all right, what chapters can, Excuse me. What chapters can I combine? <laughs> and then uh, I cut and cut. And thankfully, I was cutting before I wrote it. Unlike with Soulkeeper, where I was cutting after I wrote it. Um, I cut it down to what's going to be about one hundred and seventy thousand now. Uh, I removed like six chapters. Oh, wow. Uh, or so from the outline. But like, I, was, I was able to just kind of look at things. And in particular, I would like find a chapter where a character would kind of do something and this would be like a key moment in it. And I realized that if I took the timeline and squished it and had a lot of these events happen like during the same day, I could cut out a lot of some of the between stuff as well as have two things happen in a chapter instead of one. Right. If that makes sense? Yes. You know, one chapter was, you know, the character meeting this person and also character having someone try to kill them. Instead, it would be character goes and meets this person. And then when they're leaving, someone tries to kill them. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, the chapter might be a little longer than normal, but it's still going to be way overall shorter than if I had it in two separate instances. That's really impressive, though, because and I know you're obviously not the only author who writes these 150 plus thousand word novels but for me i i i just finished a, a robot detective noir novel and that was at 95 and that's mm-hmm. the longest thing i've ever written ever <laughs> and you know and compared to other people, i i don't know why i just i can't do long but i'm i'm maybe on this next one it'll be long uh it's i'm still laughing about pissing off brit because we follow each other, we follow each other on Twitter, and so I'll tag her uh, when I, I share this podcast. This the, I wonder if she'll get this far. I know. Hi, Britt. Hey, if uh, you're listening still, she is the sweetest, nicest person, and she's been wonderful. And I would be very sad if, like, she left me. <laughs> if she, How many books my, my, of yours has she edited? Um, this is actually only the. This is only really the first one. Really, oh, wow. I, I worked with. Uh, uh, Devi, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, mispronounced she, she went to Pelé. Tor. She went P- to Tor, yeah. Uh, Pelai, I think. Is Pelai, Pelé? Yeah. I, I don't Something remember. Like Crap, I'm so bad. Um, <laughs> I am a bad person. No, so I worked with her for six, all six of the Shadow Dance books, and I believe two of the Seraphim, and then as she was, I think she was kind of preparing to leave without really officially announcing it yet. So I believe Britt came in and did like the second pass on Shadowborn. Okay. Uh, but, like, 
she wasn't the one I did most. You know, I, I talked to Debbie on the phone about you know the story edits and stuff like that. So, to, like Soulkeeper was the first one where I were, like legit called and chatted with her when I had an issue or when I was not sure what the heck I was doing or had like you know you know I you know I have a problem. How do I solve it? And would bounce ideas off her. So this is really the first one, and uh, it's been great. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was super nervous when Debbie left because you know she was the you know editor that brought me in. She was the acquiring editor, and suddenly I was orphaned at Orbit. You know, like right. who, who's going to be the one that gets stuck with me? You know, is the person <laughs> that gets stuck with me going to like me as much as Debbie did? You know, oh, Debbie that's always in. scary. Yeah, that's always yeah. Like you know, what happens if you know you get you know because it does happen. I know it happens at other companies. You know, where you know, an author gets given to someone who didn't help bring them in or isn't their biggest fan and you know suddenly like you know you're clashing and and i was like petrified that was going to happen and i was going to be like this annoying self-publisher they're going to look at me like all right um well i mean shadow dances all right we're not sure about this other stuff you know we'll give you the boot (laughs) (laughs) that uh that kind of happened i was very fortunate because he's a really good editor uh i I had one editor for smoke eaters and i just finished uh ash kickers uh and the copy editor Oh yeah, I, I, Sorry, I guess I didn't tell you. <laughs> oh, that's a great name. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, it's it's given me pause to what to call the third book because now I'm like I don't know what to call the third. I haven't sold the third book yet, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but the copy editor for Smoke Eaters uh, went through and, and w- highlighted all of the references to modern culture because the, the book takes place a hundred years in the future. But mm-hmm. he highlighted every single 2018 reference, for instance, and said, "Do." do we really need this? And a lot of them, I said, yeah, leave in the Iron Man reference. Um, but now <laughs> that copy Iron editor, Man shall last into the hundred years of the future. Huh? <laughs> right. Uh, and, so, <laughs> and so now that he is the editor for the sequel, guess what was the first things that, that got caught, that got cut <laughs> every 2018 reference. In fact, that was like the, the biggest chunk of the edit letters. Like, okay, this is e- an easy fix, but it's the main part of your edit, and it's to cut every single 2018 reference. So, did you did you fight to keep any? No, because they were just real toss away one liner jokes uh, or something like that. It wasn't really worth it, and uh, I didn't feel like I was losing anything with it. Yeah, uh, I gosh, like with both Debbie and Britt, I think I've fought back. Like, like generally when I get like. Because I don't know whoever's listening. There's there's like the story edits where it's very much like high picture character motivations and the plot. And then there's, you know, the copy edits where it's very much, you know, does a comma go here? Right. And when it comes to story edits, like very rarely will I ever disagree with the advice coming in. And both Devi and Britt are really good about this. They will present to me things they believe are problems. They will not tell me how to fix it. Right. <laughs> Which means that whatever, you know, so whatever the solution is, it's mine. Uh, now, oftentimes, especially lately, I will, you know, when Brit tells me there's a problem, I will call up a Brit and be like, hey, Brit, so you want me to do this? Um, how? <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll then we'll I'll ramble to her for about an hour and then by the end of the hour I'll have an idea of maybe how to fix it um I do think that's a good sign of an editor a a sign of a good editor though yeah I have never felt like editorial command telling me look this character sucks act them uh 
I got she got close with Tez Marie and, and Soul Keeper. That was the one she's like, I hate this character. <laughs> Aww, but, but I like Tez Marie a lot. So I uh, I rewrote every single line of dialogue of her character in the entire novel. Wow. Every single line. Because I, I realized in hindsight, like I figured it out and I, I had my wife read it and I mentioned the complaint to her. And she's like, oh yeah, I can see that. But, oh. <laughs> so I like completely rewrote every line of dialogue and reworked her personality to be way less grating and annoying so uh <laughs> but when it comes to copy edits where like things like that where you're like hey this reference is too modern uh i'll approve like i, I don't know about you but i approve like 95 percent of them okay yeah I'm, I'm pretty much the same way unless if it's something i completely disagree with i'm i'm leaving it in and if they fight mm-hmm. we'll we'll talk and see but that rarely happens mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's what that's what i thought really. like if i want to stat something i can but i mean i very rarely um this might get me in trouble but actually with one book i think it was one of the shadow dance novels uh i think it was book three or four uh i just i just went and clicked approve all (laughs) (laughs) i just i was like i i after like three novels are just going through and never disagreeing with any comma change or anything i was just like i'm wasting my time approve all search for the comments that had actual questions and basically went through like you know that's fine that's fine that's fine that's fine yeah your change is fine and then like submitted it back in a day and they're like wow you were so fast i'm like i know right (laughs) brit if you're listening i don't do that anymore (laughs) i I, I, david i've done that too don't worry you're you're not the only one i mean there was just what do i care where a comma goes or not you know that's it Mm -hmm. doesn't affect the story if that's what you want that's what you get uh, my publisher I, is, is well orbit has a, a uk uh based but mine's solidly in the uk so uh, they have uk and us they actually have like their own little separate branches right, uh, right. i work pretty strictly with the us and then they just, sh- just shove it off and then like they, they'll have the uk editor uh go over it and make their little tweaks and it's actually really nice because sometimes what happens after the first story edit or read through they'll then send it to the uk editor be like hey uh, fresh eyes <laughs> right and so that's always nice yeah definitely Britt actually just sent me a book uh, for a, a new Orbit author and it's, the book's called The Rage of Dragons I, I got that too yep <laughs> I'm reading it right now uh, by Evan Winter I believe is the author's name are you allowed to say the title I don't know if they've announced the purchase of that book yet ooh you might, you might have to bleep it Hold- you might have to double check Brit. Ooh, you, good point. I th- I think she made it public on I don't on think Twitter. So. Ooh, she, she's, my bad. She's Thanks talked t- about how <laughs> desperately she wants everyone to read it, but you should double check that. I will Ooh, double check. We, that. Now we've set up. Now we've set up a mystery for the listener if it's bleep. Um, <laughs> I'll just bleep it out. I won't even like. We'll cut. refer to him as Mister X for the rest of his conversation. Yes. Well, there's this case. awesome book about dragons, which mm-hmm. I I. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I've written about them. I've got at least mm-hmm. two books about them. And uh, this is actually uh, based on the Hossa culture, which I mm-hmm. believe is the right way how you pronounce it, because that's how Trevor Noah says it. Uh, it so African uh, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy. And it's I, I'm only in the first uh, or second chapter right now, but there's a battle and it's awesome. I don't know how, how far have you, uh, you've gotten. I, I have not started it yet. She, I, uh, she sent it to me and I got it converted and set up on my Kindle. I expect to read it. Uh, over Christmas when I drive back to Missouri for, to visit my family. I'm hoping to read it over Christmas. Nice. They, uh, she's hoping to get a blurb for it and 
like, yeah, sure, if I like it, I would be happy to blurb and help a new author out. However, sure. this <laughs> might help give away the identity of the author. Yes. Uh, Mr. X here is also a self-published author that Orbit has snagged up. Aha! I know, so... Orbit's like, really good about that. They are, but that means, like, now I have competition. Well, and plus, <laughs> Josiah Bancroft, uh, uh, Senlin Ascends was self-published before right. Orbit picked it up. Heck, it's not even the first. See, my I need to be, like, the self-published guy. Everyone else is, like, crowding me now. See, I'm losing my gimmick. <laughs> well, what are some books that, that you've You're read? You're going to make me look bad. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you mentioned this is uh, one thing you wanted to talk about in the podcast. Uh, what, what are some uh, books that you've recently read that you, you really love and, and want to get the word out? Uh, I've, I've multiple times told people to read The Poppy War. Yes, but, that's uh, my main competition this oh year. Gosh, I'm, I don't know how I to pronounce your last name. R.F. <laughs> Kwong? Uh, I think that's correct. I, I, if for some reason, by a miracle, she hears this, I am so sorry if I mispronounce her name. Um, I follow her on Twitter. She's lovely. Yes. Uh, but that book was so freaking good. Um, uh, it and uh, right now I'm reading. I, I lost the book at a doctor's appointment. I need to go back and get it. Oh no! But I'm reading Bloody Rose by Nicholas Eames. Yep, he was on here a few months ago. I met him at WorldCon. He a nice guy. Very nice guy. He's Canadian. Like of course he's nice. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. So he showed cool. up dripping of syrup and wearing moose ears. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Surprisingly not. I couldn't. I, I I was very surprised that he didn't show up doing that. <laughs> Uh, uh, go ahead yeah no i that book is great and that that is you can't get two books more like farther apart by the way than the poppy war and bloody rose yeah you know it's funny uh, um i was talking to someone at Worldcon, and uh they were talking about uh my other book daughters of forgotten light it's really uh, mm-hmm. gritty and visceral and gory and i said oh yeah is it is it more gory than the poppy war and they're like no <laughs> I can't um, win. Gosh, I like I said. I always joke about like like my half work stuff is like super dark. I mean, I did blow up like two thirds of the world, right? But uh, oh man, the poppy war gets brutal by the end of it. You're just you're just like reading like there's, there's like a what like a two to three chapter stretch at the end. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Can you hear my child shrieking miserably in the background? It's very appropriate. <laughs> and discussing the book. Oh, you can hear. Okay. That wailing and gnashing of teeth is my two-year-old who <laughs> is upset about something. I don't know what. Um, but there's like a, like a, that two, three chapter stretch near the final third, uh, which I know you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, oh gosh. Brutal. It's just kind of like, I am, I am reading this, but I am not enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Do Actually, you, go ahead. Do you know she's only like, like 23? Something like that? Oh, what? Yeah, hold on. No, no. This this made me feel like just like ridiculous. Because I always joked about like, yeah, I was so young when I started with like, wait a minute. Uh, let's see. The copy or author. Uh, RF Kwong. I am so sorry. I do not know how. Yeah, she like mentioned once like she just now is like started college <laughs> wow or, I, I, like that's like Alyssa bitch. Wong Alyssa Wong uh, just turned 21 <laughs> uh, making me feel old yeah I'm I mean like, I oh, thought so- I was pretty young 
you know? Yeah, well, they, yeah. So then you read like Poppy War, and it's just by this like super young person's debut book. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> I, I have been outclassed. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I was talking on Facebook because uh, both of my books are on a li- Goodreads list for uh, Hugo nominations or whatever, and mm-hmm. I was like, I have no delusion that I'm going to win any of these stuff. But the mm-hmm. this one guy who. Uh, Long story, but Cole Brannigan is the uh, main character of Smoke Eaters, and I based that mm-hmm. last name off of a real guy who's a famous fire instructor. Uh, mm-hmm. This person is related to that guy, and he found me through Facebook, <laughs> which was mm-hmm. awesome. But he actually writes science fiction and fantasy himself, so it was this weird <laughs> kind of Ouroboros like roundabout thing that it all came together. But he said that uh, uh, he liked Smoke Eaters better. But he thinks Daughters of Forgotten Light has a better shot at a Hugo <laughs> under the Poppy Wars. I was like, I, 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 <laughs> the yeah, Poppy Wars is going to whip me at everything, so I'm just going to accept it and, and wish her I very thought, well. I, I thought it was going to win the uh, the Goodreads just had their awards. And I'm I was surprised, surprised they didn't. I thought she was going to win it too. Like, she, was, she was like uh, fifth or sixth. She got like 20,000 votes. not like she suffered or anything. Right. Um, uh, Bloody Rose I thought would do better too. I knew he was a write-in actually. That was really cool of him. Yes. He actually, uh, Bully Rose actually was a write-in candidate, uh, which is just all kinds of awesome for him there. Yeah. I've nominated uh, him for Kings of the Wild uh, for everything, and nothing went through. Nebula, uh, which I know is more science fiction, but uh, everything and, and nothing. But he did get a uh, Stabby, and he got the Gimmel Award. <laughs> so oh, I, was, I've, I was always kicking myself. I, they sent me a copy of Kings of the Wild asking me to blurb it because again it was debut i was like yeah sure send it to me it sounds right up my alley but then like i moved like a week or two after i got sentenced and it, the book did not make the move with me <laughs> <laughs> uh so i was like ah oh, well i guess i you know you know I'll, I'll, I'll blurb something some other time and then the book like is amazing and blows up everywhere and i was like ah oh! I could have tried to piggy, you know, get my name, like just a little blurb on the front cover, maybe, you know, <laughs> a tidy little bit of piggybacking on Kings of the Wild. And <laughs> I tease Nick all the time because I've read both of his books and he hasn't read any of mine. <laughs> he asked for it because I was hoping he'd blurb it, but you know, he just didn't get to it. But I, I, well, I was like doing the indie publishing thing and I was like one of the big names of fantasy self-publishing so like a lot of people would read my stuff and i would never read anyone's right. <laughs> i always felt like such a terrible person but i like i'm sorry i'm not gonna like, seek out self-published fantasy books I, I i i've got this other stuff i'm trying to read game of thrones right now right right <laughs> uh but yeah, like I, I'm trying to do better, and plus it's you know it's, it's free books. I, like every now and then I'll just send a message to uh, a brand. I'm like, hey, got anything that needs a blurb? I've run out of reading materials. <laughs> that's see, and that's awesome. Uh, b- being where you are is that you get to read it first before anybody. Yeah. Uh, well, you're now getting to read it too. So the, yes, the, our, our our wonderful Mister X author. Yes, uh, who is not <laughs> online. I went looking. To, he has a like, Twitter account. He, he does has a Twitter account. Yes, I found him. I, <laughs> that I was actually how him. I discovered that this Mr. X was self-published. <laughs> I was like, hey, I wonder if this guy uh, has a Twitter account. See, you know, because I'm like, you know, I'm trying to follow more and more Orbit people and, you know, start, like, I've actually made an effort to start reading a lot more Orbit authors because I'm like, 
so out of the loop. <laughs> like, you know, uh, and I was like, oh, hey, look, there he is. And I see, like, advertisements of, like, books. I was like, wait a minute. She, she hasn't announced this person yet, I don't think. And I'd be like, oh, it's self-published. Oh, he's self-published. <laughs> They're like, let's go to Amazon. Oh, he's currently selling better than my half-work stuff. <laughs> well, I'm definitely glad you told me that uh, they may have not released the title because that would have been bad. Um, <laughs> so I will and, and, go- and, and, uh, hey, and if uh, – I'm going to make you bleep this again. Well, it was Evan Winters. Yes. Just in case his name is not hidden. <laughs> right. I will and definitely look. That way, you can therefore, you know, dear listener, you can actually look him up for yourself. But yeah, it's supposed to be like, uh, what was the blurb like? Like one in in two thousand women can summon a dragon, call down the dragons. Yep. And one in every two hundred men, what was it? Uh, like have, I don't remember. What was it? They can like summon. Like they like they're just like physically enhanced. Yeah, they it? they and uh, they actually show this in the first uh, battle uh, where mm-hmm. basically they become like the Incredible Hulk and they, ah. they get taller and bigger and stronger. And actually, uh, uh, one of the women, the gifted, is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are basically giving this man the power to become. It, and I and I could look it up real quick to tell you the title of the or the name of the actual. Um, uh, being it is Ingonyama. An Ingonyama is a man who can grow taller, muscles get bigger, ah. and just totally decimate entire. They're like big berserkers, basically. Ah, so you got Daenerys and the Incredible Hulks. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> <laughs> waging war against one another. It's really yeah. cool. It's uh, really cool. Like, no, I'm excited to read it. I, uh, I just need. I want to finish up Bloody Rose first before we leave. Okay, I won't spoil anything red. for you on that one. Hmm? I won't spoil yeah. spoil anything on that. Uh, I'm like halfway through Bloody Rose. Okay, uh, they basically just finished their worldwide tour, right? And have just bumped with Mister Like Treebeard's dirty uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, uh, the the guy who can turn into a bear. No, no, no! Treebeard, the, the the actual tree guy. They stay. In oh, his, oh, uh, the uh, the tree ant. Yeah, yeah the yeah. tree ant guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Treebeard's like dirty uncle who no one speaks of, and he's got like an actual like porno mag of like exposed park. What? <laughs> Which, did you not catch that? <laughs> I didn't catch that part. Oh my gosh! Nicholas even gets away with the most ridiculous stuff at his book. I mean, I, I caught his uh, <laughs> "Say Anything" John Cusack reference. Um, uh, which I think comes I'm missing most book. of references, by the way. It's like I think Bloody Rose is focusing on like '80s hair metal, yes. <laughs> I think, which is like so not my genre. But no, there's <laughs> because he has such a light-hearted, just roll with it tone with the book. He can do stuff like this. Like uh, the main character, she like finds some print or magazine or book or something that is like just pictures of trees with like barks like scraped off the sides of it i, I <laughs> remember like, that part but i never connected that there was like a trance porn mag yep what oh yep. nick i'm gonna have to I'm, I'm gonna talk to him after this interview about that because i that, never that was one of the ones where i was just like oh my god i like i just want to imagine like is, was brit his editor too i don't know i just want to imagine if like you know brit is having conversation with nick about like so about the tree porno mag does that <laughs> stay in there and of course clearly nick won that argument if there was one 
Yeah, it was so subtle that, I mean, obviously I didn't catch it. And I, I'm pretty good about that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but, like, no, just, like, things like that. I'll just all throughout the book. I just loved it. And uh, I love the setup. The reason I love Bloody Rose already so much is he solves an issue that I actually had a real big problem with in the Seraphim series. In Paladins, but in particular the Half-Orcs, what I... It's almost, it's, again, kind of referencing, like, my anime comic book, like, background. Uh, eventually, I will end up with a core group of characters that just, like, we're the group, we're the D&D party, we're going to stick with one another and fight with one another and help one another. And that's where a lot of, like, the emotion and drama comes from. And... I took forever to build up a cast of characters in Seraphim that I felt that way. And, and it wasn't really until book three that I kind of had a little bit of a group because I was focusing so hard on just the two main point of views. Right. And whereas in the half orcs, I mean, I had that group pretty quickly. So a soul keeper, I was like determined I'm going to build up my D and D type group core group. Like that's what I'm going to focus on getting a nice rounded cast that I love. Then Nicholas Eames is like, I'm just going to start the book with them all together in a band. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like reading Bloody Rose and like they all roll in. They all already know each other and like care for one another. And they're all like drunkards and crazy. And I'm like, he just, he just, he just skipped ahead. Yeah. Why didn't I do that? Why not? <laughs> Why didn't I? I was like, I could just start with the group of characters and then introduce them to someone else instead of having to like start separately and slowly work with them together until I have them all like trusting one another. I'm like, ah, I need to start doing Nick does. Like, just have the group already there. What are yeah. you doing? Skip which ahead. Actually, which speaks to like, uh, like those old old D books like the hickman and weiss ones like Dragonlance, were like actually even starts in a tavern you know right like i get very much that vibe uh yeah. from eames i meanwhile i'm like i'm like the salvatore dark elf trilogy is basically what like my shadow dance series is and my hat works <laughs> i get compared has- to john birmingham a lot which i haven't read any of his books i don't know him I don't know most people, so that doesn't say much. <laughs> right. He said, I am so poorly read. <laughs> oh, by the way, I did look it up, and it is official. Uh, Orbit hasn't released their cover of it, but it's on the internet. That Orbit, Oh, they, they, ha- they have done an announcement? Hold on, let's see. Uh, it looks like it. At least I, I Googled it. And you know what's <laughs> funny? I just realized this. I heard about this book before Orbit picked it up because it was self-published. But I, mm-hmm. even I knew about that, and I don't know about any self-published books. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I uh, I've I don't even know if people consider me a self-published author anymore. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, just I mean, because because I have so many with Orbit, because I've like self-published one novel in five years. Right. Uh, I don't really view myself as one anymore either. I uh, like I like I said I hope I get a half work book out, but it's very much Orbit pays the bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the half works is my. Hopefully, money. just been like it's, it's it. Honestly, it's more of like a fan service, right? <laughs> almost what the half works feels like to me. Is like, like you don't want to let them I, down. I don't want to let you down, and these are all like my children at this point, the main characters. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've put them through heaven and hell, and like you know, 
at that point, I mean, I could write dialogue for those characters in my sleep. I mean, I just, I know them so well. Right. And, uh, and they're all just, you know, wonderful damage necromancers and like God Slayer. Like the main character has the nickname, the God Slayer from like book six on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so subtlety is not my forte. <laughs> yeah. Don't come to my books for subtlety. Come to my books for like one person fighting off 20 people and making it look good. Right. The fun stuff. Mm-hmm. It's official. It's on Amazon. The Rage of Dragons, Evan Winter, uh, publisher Orbit. So okay, so now if, all right, no no bleeping necessary. You, if Brett comes like back and tells me, "Hey, can you please bleep that?" Uh, you know, I can always edit it. So there you go. Hi, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I see the the self published one is still for sale, by the way. Yes, uh, which cracked me up because she was uh, Brit sent me the book to blurb, and I, I sent it as a word file so I could format and put it on my Kindle. Right, because. Like, normally they have, like, PDFs, and reading those on my Kindles sucks. Oh, it does. And so, after I did all the formatting, and then I went to see, uh, find Evan Winter and saw his self-published, it's like, pff, I just could have bought the self-published version. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I could have just saved myself the hassle of formatting and just grabbed the self-published. Right. Uh, which, ooh, wow, 376 reviews with 4.6 star average. That's nice. pretty good. It's pretty good. We're going to wrap things up for episode 19 of Cosmic Dragon. David, thank you so much for coming on. And your book that we've been talking about, Soul Keeper, comes out March 19th. Yes. Awesome. I think it was intended uh, intended to be coming out in uh, January, so they bumped it up a little bit. Yeah, I took too long. Oh, okay. <laughs> when you have to do multiple story edits, <laughs> uh, timetables get thrown off a little bit. Yeah, I understand that. But hey, thanks so much for coming on. 